this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. As we wrap up this series on thinking like Jesus, I want us to take a look at the most important thought-forming characteristic of Jesus's mind. It's the most important, yet I think we tend to miss it a lot. And if we could just think from the same perspective that Jesus thinks, I think it would change our lives every day. So how can we think like Jesus? Today we're wrapping up this message series on thinking like Jesus. And man, you guys have loved this series. I know because I have heard so much feedback from you. Time after time, you've emailed me, texted me, called me to talk about this series. Uh, It's really apparently been very, very impactful to you. And I'm so grateful to know. I mean, I feel like it's been foundational for me to just go back and to remember what this is really all about and how to think like Jesus. We started off talking about making that jump, you know, making that jump. It's not just about knowing the words, it's about really being able to be fluent in the language, right? So I talked about going to South America and how I could kind of follow the conversation. I knew what they were saying to me because I had learned all the words, but I couldn't keep up in the conversation because I had to listen to the Spanish translate into English in my head, formulate my response, translate back to Spanish, and by the time I finally got to saying what I wanted to say, everybody had gone home. And you really can't have a conversation until you make that jump from knowing Spanish to thinking in Spanish. And so that's been the goal of this series all along. The second week we talked about, we talked about seeing Jesus for who he really is. And we looked at that great declaration that Peter makes in Caesarea Philippi that he is the son of the living God. And we kind of unpacked all the context that that phrase living God really means when we're talking about Jesus and how that ought to really reframe our thinking when we think about Jesus. And then last week, we talked about who he is. He wraps himself in flesh, God in the flesh, and he comes full of grace and truth. And remember, we talked about some people are grace people, some people are truth people, some people are kind of some of one and some of the other, but he's not half and half. He's full of grace and truth. He is all grace and all truth. He brings both to bear all the time, and any misunderstanding of that when we lean too hard into grace and miss truth we're gracing people right to hell when we lean too far into truth and we miss grace we're crushing people and condemning people but he has all of both to make us his so it's been a really good series for me to go back and to think like Jesus and today as we wrap it up I would like for us to spend a few minutes thinking about the key characteristic that forms the thinking of Jesus. This is the key thing. This is the lens that Jesus thinks through. It's the key characteristic of Jesus himself. 
And I'll bet it's not what you're thinking right now. You see, we always think of the supporting traits. We always think of what Jesus does, what he says. You know, we think he, you know, he came and he taught and he healed and he cast out and he, you know, loved and he shared and he died and he rose. I mean, we think of all these things that he did, but I think we miss the key characteristic about who he is, what he came here for. Of course, we always like to point to his critical transaction, the big critical transaction, the one moment where it all comes together, and that's the moment of the cross, right? Because you and I have no hope of ever being united with God, of ever thinking like Jesus if it weren't for the cross, because we were those dry bones, weren't we? I mean, there's nothing in me or you that's alive at all in and of ourselves because we were born with dead DNA, spiritually dead. We were born criminals against a holy God and under his judgment already. We had nothing but death and we were destined for nothing but death, but he called your name. Right, he went to the cross, he died on the cross, and instead of punishing you, God punished Jesus for what you and what I had done. Jesus took the blame and he took the punishment for my sins and for your sins on the cross. And he pronounces me clean because of the crucifixion. But then he rose from the grave himself. And with his new life, he begins to make me clean. He begins to clean me up uh, from the inside out and turn me into the living, breathing representative of God that he's called me to be here. Can I get an amen? amen. That's what he does for us. That's his critical transaction. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason behind that. There's a bigger picture even behind the crucifixion and the resurrection that we tend to miss. So I'm going to give you the reason right up front. First blank on your page is going to show you that Jesus thinks as a leader. If you're going to think like Jesus, you got to think as a leader. That's right. The reason he came and he taught and he healed and he shared and he cast out and he was crucified and he resurrected again. The reason he did all that stuff was to redeem this world to his father. In other words, he came here to lead us home where we belong. Because even though we were born with dead DNA, we weren't designed that way, were we? We were designed to be a living representative of God right here in this world. We were designed to be beautiful image bearers of God. But we broke that when we became sinners. We traveled far from him. We're that child that ran off, that sheep that wandered away. We are missing in action from his purpose and his plan we're spiritually dead and so Jesus comes to lead us back home why else would we be called followers of Christ Jesus is above all a leader right that's why Mark shows us clearly Jesus's thesis statement as he begins his ministry he begins to teach 
this in Mark 1. He says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That's the leadership statement right there. He's leading us to God. Repent and believe. I know we like to paint the picture of Jesus that, you know, he allowed no need to go unmet, you know, no hurt to go un, unloved, you know, no lost person to go unfound, but that's, that's it's not an honest picture of Jesus. That's, that's not what he did here. I think about that time in Capernaum when his ministry really began to explode. Uh, he healed Simon Peter's mom, and the word got out that Jesus is in the healing business. And you know what happened. Everybody from all the town began to bring their sick and their dying to Jesus. And the word spread really fast. People came from other villages. They began to travel from farther away because Jesus is healing people. And so Jesus is ministering, ministering, healing, 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 just going, just healing everybody that came along. And finally, it's late at night. People have come from all over. There's a line out the door down the street. And the disciples have to say, listen, Jesus needs a break, okay? Uh, just we're closing down for the night. Come back tomorrow. Jesus will be here again tomorrow. It's okay. So they shut it down for the night, and everybody finally gets a little shut eye. Early the next morning, the disciples wake up, and they look around, and where's Jesus? Nobody knows where Jesus is. They're looking, looking, looking. Simon Peter's the one that finally finds him. He's out in the woods. Jesus is hanging out in the woods all by himself. He's been praying. He's been praying early, early, since early in the morning. He's been listening to his father. And we don't know exactly what God told Jesus that day, but we know what Peter said. Peter says, Jesus, you gotta, you gotta, come, you gotta come back. Just come on back. People have traveled all night from other towns. They've come a long, long, long way believing that you're gonna heal them. The, the line is wrapping around the block. I mean, it's just crazy. You, you need to come on back and start healing again. And here's what Jesus says in response to what God has just told him. In Luke 4, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that's why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Matthew actually gives us a little bit more detail on this and they come and find him in the woods and he's like, no, I'm not going back. You're coming with me. And they all just leave. All these people who came to be healed, Jesus walks away from them because Jesus has a bigger purpose. As a leader, Jesus was really good at saying no to good things so that he could say yes to the best things. I blow it on that a lot of times. I want to say yes to every little thing. But that's not very leadership thinking. Jesus was willing to say no to important things, to good things, so that he could get to the best thing, the thing that God had called him to do. Can I get an amen on that? This is the thing about Jesus. He didn't come to heal and to teach. He healed and he taught so that he could lead us all home. Jesus thinks as a leader, right? He's literally the best leader the world has ever seen, isn't he? I mean, think, think about it for one second. He had no super PAC to raise millions of dollars for a campaign. 
He had no television commercials to advertise his message, right? He didn't have any social media presence at all. He didn't even have a YouTube channel to vlog with. And yet this peasant carpenter from backwater town should have been a nobody from nowhere is able to start a revolution that literally changes the world. It topples governments. It changes cultures. No other figure in human history has been fought over as much, discussed as much, had more artwork done about him, have had more songs written, more books written, more, more controversy about, or more worship than Jesus Christ. He even split time itself. Even lost people have their thoughts formed by who Jesus is and what he did. He is the best leader the world has ever seen. And here's the crazy thing about Jesus's leadership. He establishes his movement exactly backwards exactly backwards, upside down, different than any other leadership you and I have ever seen. You know how it goes. Leaders love to lead from the top, right? And you've had that boss. They got the big office, the big desk, the big expense account. They want the recognition. They take the credit for what you do right? And they don't know anything about what's going on. They don't care. They're just giving you orders and telling you what to do. And you have to go do it, even though you know that there's a better way. Ah, you listen to the boss because leaders love to lead from the top. Jesus describes that to his people at some point because his disciples knew this worldly pattern really well, didn't they? The disciples knew it, and they couldn't get their head around what Jesus was trying to do. He's trying to turn it upside down. He's trying to do it backwards, and they couldn't get their head around it like you and I can't get our head around it. So over and over again, the disciples are arguing about how to lead. In fact, they're arguing specifically about which of the disciples are going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna be sitting next to Jesus in the throne room. No, no, I'm gonna be sitting next to Jesus. No, he likes me the best. Did you see how he walked beside me for a while earlier today? Did you see how he pulled me aside and told me something he didn't tell the rest of you, right? I mean, they're always arguing about which of them will be the greatest. And Jesus has something to say about that. He says this in Luke 22. He says, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people yet they're called friends of the people. Sounds like he's talking about politicians, doesn't it? But among you, he says, among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves. Jesus says, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. Not here. For I, your leader, am among you as one who serves. 
Jesus turns it all upside down. I, Jesus, your leader, am among you as one who serves. It's not the one being served that's great. It's the one who serves that is great in the kingdom of God. And you know this word right here, right? The Greek word, Bill Starley, for this word is diakonos. That's why the church has been given this office of leadership called deacons. These are the guys who are leaders in the church. And when you watch our deacons, they love you. They care about you. And so they lead you by serving you. Watch them. They're the guys greeting you and helping you find a seat when you come in. They know where the seats are, so they can help you find a seat. You know why they know where the seats are? Because it's the deacons that move all the chairs around every time something's going to happen in here. Every single week, they're moving chairs, taking out garbage. They're setting up stuff, tearing down stuff, fixing broken stuff, painting things, pulling gravel in the parking lot, digging holes. They're serving. Not only that, but they're visiting people who are sick. They're carrying your burden. They're leading life groups. They're, they're serving you. Jesus says, I am one who deacons. And you, if you're going to follow me, you will be one who serves as well. But the disciples had a hard time getting their head around this backwards leadership model. They always thought, I think right up till the very end, they really thought that Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem and somehow overthrow the Roman oppressors and that he would lead with a crown and a scepter and they would carry the swords to enforce his will. But that isn't Jesus, is it? Here's what he says in John 13. After they arrived in Jerusalem, they'd been there for a few days. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return to God. He has all authority. He's got everything. Food chain. He's got it all. He has every right to do whatever he wants. Everybody acknowledged that when he came into town. They saw him riding in on that donkey. And what are they doing? They're singing songs about him. Hosanna, Hosanna. They're laying down their coats and their palm fronds to form a carpet for Jesus to come across on that donkey. And Jesus realizes God himself, not the Romans, you know, not the Babylonians before, not, not any of the world powers, not Egypt. Nobody has given him power on earth, but God has given him authority over everything. And so Jesus intends to exercise his authority to its fullest extent. He intends to demonstrate his authority right here. He's going to show his disciples the best use of his heavenly, divine, God-given authority. So, verse 4, he got up from the table and he took off his robe and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin and then he began to wash the disciples feet drying them with the towel that he had around him what must this have been like for their commander 
to now be on his knees doing the work of literally the lowest of slaves to them. Their commander, he wasn't just their commander, this is the one who commanded sickness to end. He commanded the lepers to be healed, and they were. He commanded the demons to flee, and they did. He commanded the wind and the waves to shut up, and they shut up. He even commanded Lazarus to come out of the grave, and he did. He was their commander. He had been ordering them around for three years, and they would do whatever he told them to do. And now this commander was washing their feet and drying them with a towel. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, John 13, he said to him, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replies, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. I, sh I should be washing yours. I'm the servant, you're the master. I'm the slave, you're the boss. I, you should, you can never, I can never allow you to act like a slave and treat me as the master. I can't allow that. And Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. The only way you can become one with Christ is to let him serve you. To let him cleanse you. You come to God because Christ gives everything away, going from the top to the bottom for you. You don't come to the top of the pyramid when you come to Jesus. You come to him on, on his knees with a towel, serving you, taking the blame for your sin, dying on your behalf. That's who Jesus is. Not lording it over, but giving it up willingly. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? Do you, do you even get it? Can you see it? You keep scratching your way to the top, clawing your way to the top, trying to serve yourself, trying to become great yourself. Do you even see what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I'm teaching you something here. You ought to wash each other's feet. You should be washing each other's feet. This is a picture of the body of Christ. We serve each other. We love each other. We bear each other's burdens. We lift each other up. We help each other out. That's how Jesus thinks 
well, I'm not going to be in a life group. I don't have time for that. Don't tell me you're trying to think like Jesus. Well, I don't want to get my hands dirty with all that. You're not thinking like Jesus. Well, I, you know, I just, I'm so busy all the time, I just need a break. That doesn't sound like Jesus at all to me. He says, I'm teaching you something. You ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Jesus paints a vivid picture of going from the top all the way to the bottom to serve those around him. He gave it all to love, to serve us. Do as I have done to you. In Mark 10, Jesus says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see how he turns it upside down? It's the opposite of everything we've ever known because, next blank on your page, Jesus leads from the bottom up. That's who Jesus is. He turns everything upside down and he starts this backwards movement that shook the world. Still changing the world. 2,000 years later, still going. And here's the craziest part of it all. The craziest part of it all is that he isn't here. So what he does in Matthew 28 is he delegates his work in the movement to you and to me. The movement today is mine and yours to perpetuate, right? You know the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all my authority. I'm gonna exercise it again. And instead of dominating everything, instead of telling you what to do, I'm just gonna delegate my authority to you. Here it is. Therefore, since I have all authority, here's my delegation statement. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do we understand this? Do, do we see what Jesus is doing here? He's giving it all away to serve us and then he tells us, now you go and do as I've done to you. Do we understand this? Do we get this at all? Or do we hole up in our little cabins up in the hills to, <clears throat> hoping not to ever be too close to our neighbors to have to talk to them? When Jesus says, love your neighbors, serve your neighbors. Do we understand? Do we see? Paul, the apostle, understands to the church at Corinth. He says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. That means it's a task of leading people home. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's 
ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Here's the crazy thing. God's given us this responsibility. Jesus has dedicated his responsibility, his mission, his purpose to us. He says, you are now the leaders. And then he just left. He says, now you. I've done this, now you. It's your turn. Gone. Jesus actually thinks we get it. He actually thinks that we understand this. He's so confident that we'll get it, he just went home. He just went back. He left us with it, and it's on us. Do you see what he's doing? Do you get it at all? I don't know, like those, you know, OG disciples, I think that we still fight over who's the greatest. Right? We scratch and we claw our way to the top. We try to serve our needs, take care of ourselves, make sure we're comfortable, make sure we're happy. And we are doing everything we can to get to the top, not the bottom. While we've been given this great purpose to fulfill, we get all caught up in ourselves and we don't think like Jesus. I like the C.S. Lewis quote from The Weight of Glory. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. If I'm gonna think like Jesus... I have to, next blank, I have to think like a servant. If I'm gonna think like Jesus, I have to think like a servant. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, Jesus was really clear with us. He told a story after story after story about it. So he tells a lot of parables, right? 13 of his parables, most of his parables, have to do with servants. With Jesus, it's either gardening or servants. So he's telling parables, a lot of them, about servants. And, you know, he tells parables so that you'll listen to the story and draw principles out. So he never comes right out and says what he's thinking, but you can clearly see the servant principles all throughout these stories. I think the closest he comes to being super direct about it is in Matthew 13. He tells this story. He says, the coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do. And he told the gatekeeper, another one of his servants, to watch for his return. You see that? To watch, be watchful. You too, servant. He says, you too must keep Watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. I say to you, I say to you, watch for 
him. Be watchful. I think the number one characteristic of a good servant of Jesus is a servant that is watchful. In the parable of the talents, the rewarded servant is the one who was very proactive. He was given an investment by the master before the master left. And so the servant was very proactive. He was always watching for opportunities to invest the master's finances and to produce a return. So he kind of had one eye on the master about to return and one eye on every master opportunity that he could take. He was watchful and he produced a great return. In Luke 12, the servants are to be dressed for service and keep their lamps burning. They are poised and ready so that when the master returns, they aren't sleeping and nothing's ready, but when the master returns, they can present to him what is rightfully his. They've taken what he's given them and they've produced a return on it. A little later, Jesus says in the same story, he says, Luke 12, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. Watchful, knowing what's going on around them, sensitive to other people's needs and listening for the Holy Spirit to nudge them in the right direction. Always being proactive to take care of what belongs to the master. They're watchful. That's what a sensible servant is. So if I could define watchful, it'd be the next blank on your page. It would be a servant who is alert and available. Alert and available. Always paying attention and always available whenever the spirit Moves Whenever he nudges you, hey, I want you to take care of that. Hey, there's somebody over here in need. There's a hurt right over here. Did you see that? I, I, mean, you, I, I mean you to take care of that. Did you do that? When you're standing in line at the grocery store and you're gonna be standing there for a couple of minutes and somebody near you is clearly burdened, what would it hurt for you to just think like Jesus and pray for that person? right there in the middle of the store. Yeah, it's awkward, I did it yesterday. It's especially when you're not in like Walmart with a thousand people, you're in AutoZone with two people. <laughs> yeah, it can get awkward. Or maybe when you're at work and you know everybody's rant, 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 rant talking, maybe you're the one to bring light in the situation. Because see, here's the thing. God's desire is to redeem this world back to God, to lead us home. And for whatever reason, he believed that you were exactly the leader that your workplace needs. He believed that you were exactly the leader that your class at school Needs. For whatever reason, he believed that you were exactly the leader that your neighborhood needs. 
You didn't fall into that house with a good deal. God put you there. He put you in that classroom. He put you in that workplace. He put you alongside every other person you're next to on purpose, even at AutoZone, because you're the leader that he put in place for such a time as this. The world is falling apart all around us, and we love to sit and complain about how bad it's getting, don't we? Don't we? Come on. We watch the news, and we shake our heads, and we get around other people, and we talk about how bad everything is. We cross our arms, talk about how bad everything is, talk about how bad everything is. Well, who's the leader here? Is it Joe Biden? That's not a joke. You are. And if this world is going to change, if it's going to be redeemed, there's no hope for this world at all outside of the person of Jesus Christ. And you were put here to lead people to him. It's going to come back together again, but it's your responsibility, my responsibility to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Any other hope for this world, government spending, Bigger police forces, smaller police forces, no law enforcement zones, sanctuary cities, it's all a lie. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ and you are the one put here to think like him and to lead the world to Christ. It's you, it's you. It's not me, it's you. I got my own, I got my own thing to do, but you do too. Do you see what he's doing? Do you, do you see? Can you understand it? Because he's not holding a scepter. He's holding a towel. And the way he leads is on his knees at your dirty feet. And unless he washes you, you can't be his. The only way this world is going to come clean is through Jesus. So how does that work out for us? What do we do about that? Listen, you don't, have to, you don't have to walk out of here and get home and start trying to figure out, well, how do I do this? There's an opportunity for you right here, right now, because school's gonna be over in a couple of weeks, and we've got lists of time right back here for you to serve our community at Seamless Summer. You know, there's a whole bunch of kids right here in our community, right outside of downtown, that once school lunches stop, they don't eat. And so we go out there and we deliver food and hope for them. We grab our towels and we go out there and we just serve. It's about an hour long commitment, ooh. And right back there is a list of open times and opportunities for you to think and to act like Jesus. That's it right there. If you can't do that, I'm not sure you can think like Jesus. One hour. Can you do an hour? Some people sign up for one hour a summer. I'll take it. I'll take it. Some people sign up for, I'll do this, I'll do every day this week. What is it? From like 11 to 12 or so. I'll do every day this week. Some people say I'll do Thursdays in June or I'll do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, June and July or whatever it is. It's, it's only like six weeks long. I mean, 
you could figure out a way to begin the personal discipline of serving people around you in the name of Jesus. Unless Jesus washes them, there will not be anything clean. They just need a little food and a little love. And there's the opportunity right there. There's also one sign up for Vacation Bible School. Same thing. Last year, we had to do VBS online. And it was a good show. They did, a good, they did an amazing job. I mean, for a bunch of rednecks with cell phones making video, they did a great job. But look, you, you can't love kids on video. And we got a community full of hurting kids. Need someone to just love on them a little bit. Loving them might be coming and just help serving food, or it might be taking pictures, or it might be doing a game, or it might be uh, telling a story. I mean, there's a hundred different ways to serve at Vacation Bible School. It's a little bit bigger of a commitment. It's a four-day-long commitment, and you're here from in the morning till in the uh, afternoon, and it's a little bit bigger. I know a lot of us work, but man, I know some people that will take their vacation week and give it to Vacation Bible School. Dude, that is thinking like Jesus. Am I right? That's amazing. So here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do this morning to don't let this pass you by. Don't walk away. Think like Jesus and go straight to where you are needed right here in our community and sign up for a time. Paul says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? If so, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind for this one great purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Be humble. Be humble. And like Jesus, think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. Be alert and prepared for others too. So what did he do for you? What did he do for you? Everything. Amen. He came to the lowest and served you. The least you and I can do is serve others in the name of Jesus. This is the path to truly starting to think like Jesus. When you become fluent here, then that's when the Spirit really begins to flow in your life. This is when everything begins to change. Your value system will begin to turn upside down, won't it, Mark Rodriguez? I mean, everything that you think is important now all of a sudden will start to change. Everything that you tend to invest in right now, you'll start changing the way you invest in. And everything that you find happiness in now will suddenly become ridiculous. And you'll begin to see where the real value in this life is we do that by Philippians 2 you knew I'd get to this verse you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had though he was God he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to instead he gave up his divine privileges 
and he took that humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and, on, and under the earth, and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. So my challenge to you today, think like Jesus. Jesus. 